Hey, 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 welcome back to another episode of the Desi VC. I'm your host, Akash Bhatt, and I bring you your weekly dose of VC education by speaking to investors making investments in tech startups in India. Today with me on the show is Sajid Pai. Sajid is a longtime media executive turned VC at Bloom Ventures. Bloom is an early stage tech focused fund making investments in India, and Sajid supports investments in media edtech, e-commerce, while simultaneously helping them build a research and knowledge platform. Before Bloom, Sajid worked at the Times of India Group across roles in strategy, business development, and marketing. He's also a prolific writer. His writings on topics as diverse as startups and e-commerce to culture and education have been published in Scroll, Quartz, BuzzFeed, and the New Indian Express. I must also let everybody know that after you listen to this podcast, you should check out his handle on Twitter and also his Medium blog. Some of the insights are mind-blowing. He also has an MBA from IM Ahmedabad and BA in economics from Chogale College in Goa. So I had a ball speaking to Sajid on this episode, and I'm more than excited to share this with everybody. So without wasting more time, let's jump straight into the episode. Here's Sajid. Hey Sajid, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for coming. How's it going? Hi Akash, delighted. Delighted to talk to you this morning and I'm sure it's Sunday evening at your end. Thank you. Thank you for thinking of me and Blue Ventures. Well, it's, it's, it's my pleasure. I wanted to start this episode by quoting something that you had written a while ago, where you claim that you were an unusual candidate to join a VC firm. Yeah. Firstly, why would you say that? And second, could you take us through your journey and what really motivated you to join Venture Capital? What was the tipping point? Yeah, no, it's good to ask me that question because just as uh, you kind of have this moniker called the Desi VC, if I were to make a podcast, I would probably call it the Accidental VC. Uh, <laughs> so, so, so the reason for that is that uh, I, when I joined uh, Blue Ventures, and this was about a year and a half back, um, so um, and and if you look at the kind of typical profiles of people who uh, join VC as sort of one step below partner, like a principal, director, VP, senior VP, et cetera. It would typically be mid to uh, early, uh, kind of early to mid 30s, uh, typically from a strong engineering or uh, you know product management or maybe next founder background. And, um, and I was, I was actually none of that. I had no real startup experience in that degree. So I had worked in say, starting up businesses within a large company, three of them, and that that, that helped as well. But uh, I really had no startup experience in any of the unicorns or hyperscaling startups. Uh, I wasn't an engineer. I, 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 you know, I hadn't founded a company. Uh, so uh, it was kind of unusual for Karthik to kind of uh, take that chance on me. And certainly, uh, you know, there are advantages I'm glossing over. I like to write and think about the Indian startup uh, sector, about edtech, about media, surely all of that helped. My willingness to kind of, uh, you know, come in and join one step below partner would have certainly helped him, you know, make the case with other partners at Bloom. Um, many other factors also, uh, my interest in education, which they kind of were looking at, kind of bringing in someone covering that hole at Bloom would certainly have helped. So a bunch of that, but certainly uh, doesn't take away from the fact that uh, at uh, 42, when I kind of joined VC, 
but I've been a fairly unusual candidate as well. So, so just a little bit about my journey since you asked me. Um, um, so before joining Bloom, I worked for nearly two decades with a very large Indian company called the Times of India Group. Uh, very familiar to people uh, in India, of course, the largest media company. Um, very strong presence in print, radio, TV, to extent, and internet. Um, but I worked for a large time across the print, their, edu- their new education arm, etc. And I worked across corp dev, strategy, uh, business development, kicking off uh, various new ventures like Times Music. Uh, then there's the Times TV, which is called Times Now. The Bennett University, which is an education project and all that. And before that, I did my MBA from IIM Ahmedabad. And so, uh, so, so that's, that's my background and that's my journey. Yeah. No, I love that. I think being super aware about yourself before you embark on something new and very different is extremely important and as part of your learning experience. And you certainly were very aware about what you were taking up as part of venture capital. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. And moving on, Sajid, tell me what's happened in the last 18 to 24 months in the startup ecosystem in India, because that's about the time when you joined Bloom. What are the trends and opportunities that you've been noticing as a VC? Yeah. So uh, clearly a bunch of them. Um, I think one of the most interesting things that's happened is uh, at our stage, seed stage, we're seeing a lot more uh, later stage uh, funds come in. Um, so Sequoia Surge is a great example of that, but not just that. Um, so, so sort of uh, what I call uh, frenemy uh, funds, uh, because they're uh, frenemies because they're friends of us because they sometimes invest, uh, uh, not sometimes, but many times do invest after us. But they're also uh, enemies because uh, they're also competing at our stage for the same uh, great fo- founder. So, uh, so for us at Bloom, for uh, for for many of the seed funds at our stage, uh, it, it, we've had challenges in how, how do we kind of deal with the late, typically later stage uh, funds kind of come in and make a play for us, and so so sort of what we're seeing is a tearing of the when tearing as in T I E R I N G, so tearing of the Indian market into a kind of or the, at least the Indian early stage market into two parts, once typically first time founders. Uh, uh, which is typically where Bloom has huge strengths in, etc. And um, second-time founders are uh, like CXOs out of hyperscaling startups. So sort of you VP product at one of the hyperscaling startups that's like grown like a rocket ship in the last three, four years. So you typically from a background, you're typically in product or tech, you know the VCs, some of them are from your college or, uh, or your founder, uh, angel invests in you and introduces to the VC on his board. So sort of uh, this kind of becomes proprietary deal flow to some of these later stage guys. Or B, if you're a second time founder, you know the ropes, you know who to call. And anyway, you're hot property when you decide. So so what's happened is really the tearing of the market. And uh, for, for any seed fund, because we only have $100 million and some of these um, um, founders of uh, like, you know, ex-second time founders or uh, some hyperscaling startups typically take a lot more capital than we do. It's got harder to kind of compete in this space. So what we're really seeing in India, I think the most dramatic trend has been, um, you know, certainly uh, this this tearing of uh, the startup ecosystem, early stage startup ecosystem into two, first time founders and second time founders. That's that's probably the best way to put it. Second is that been, there's been an explosion in late growth capital that's really come, led by Chinese um, hedge funds of the like. There hasn't been any Indian capital playing in that. 
And so aggressively, what it's really done is create a huge winner-take-all market whereby if you kind of uh, kind of uh, cross like 300, 400 million dollars in funding, then your ability to take that next 100 million dollar improves. It's like a rush to kind of invest in you, which is why we're seeing like uh, uh, in the Indian market for 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 an economy of its size, it's it's it's, it's what I really call overventured. It's it's really oversized. Uh, so uh, and and that's a lot to do with the fact that there is a lot of capital that's chasing uh, fewer high quality companies relatively. Yeah. So these are some of the trends that I've seen. Um, uh, so um, it's it, it's it's kind of interesting for me to kind of come in and see a bunch of these trends play out. These are not the only trends, but these are I think two very important trends. Yeah. So by tiering, would you also classify it under markets? And I remember an article that you had written where you classify them into India 1, India 2, and India 3. So would you go a step further and say beyond the classification that you just mentioned, there's also markets under which segmentation is taking place currently in India, and there are different VCs who are looking at it from a very different perspective. Um, fair. Um, so yes, uh, I wrote this article uh, which uh, probably became my most well-known article in the VC ecosystem where I looked at India as... Uh, India 1, India 2, India 3. India India 1 is a world of Apple or uh, OnePlus iPhones and uh, people like us drinking Starbucks coffee. Perhaps there's a more niche market called India 1A within that, which mm-hmm. uh, uh, perhaps, and, and you can kind of use that as to kind of look at market, the market for products such as raw pressery or epigamia. But uh, so India 1, which is about 100 million large, is really the key market, which is really the market in India. So right. then there's India too, which is kind of uh, in the market that's opening up thanks to geo, thanks to cheaper bandwidth, uh, thanks to, uh, 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 and, and that's a market for products such as an academy or, uh, you know, any of these guys who are kind of uh, geo, any of these guys who are kind of uh, looking at the new Indian consumer taking birth. So that's about another 100 to 150 million uh, large as well. Beyond that, there is India 3, which is which is like really, really, a long way from long way as in a few years away from kind of coming into uh, 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 you know you know you know into the consumption basket really. So um, so I would say that most VCs today know that India one and India two are the real markets you need to play in. India one is really what pays for their services, uh, but at the same time, India two is what is going to be the future market. So none of them necessarily. So there are a lot more India two players such as Misho. Uh, who, uh, you know, you know. Uh, so, an academy, and it's in- interesting that both of them have a f- Facebook as their investor. Yeah. So, 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 so these are typically prototypical India two plays. ShareChat is another example of a prototypical India two play. Um, uh, uh, TikTok in- spans both India one and India two. So, uh, so while most VCs don't necessarily have only India 2 funds or India 1 funds. So to an extent, say DSG, uh, uh, which is a consumer products company or a fire site, largely play in the India 1 space. So funds such as Bloom, uh, India Quotients of the World, or IOS, all of us have strong India 2 plays as well. In, and uh, so, I, so I think it's, a, well, it's an interesting framework to look at it and how it should guide specific portfolio construction. I don't think at a fund level you'll probably, uh, or, or, or you know, you, you will say I'll only do India one or India two, in, in, in barring some exceptional cases. So, it, but it's a good framework, good lens to kind of look at uh, portfolio construction. Yeah. You know, what are the challenges of India two and the sector that that you know the sectors that fall under that? Because the opportunities are very obvious. You know, it's 
uh, a growing class you know there's um, the the income levels are expanding so the uh, the opportunities for vcs in that space is is almost in your face but what about the challenges what does that really tell vcs about um, you know warning them about making investments in this space yeah so yeah so challenges are essentially that they don't pay i mean this is not an affluent consumer they are very value conscious uh, they love freebies so the people who have really grew have been uh, folks uh, for example anakanam is a great example they got about 95000 uh, paying customers uh, they did about 2.5 million dollars last month in revenue mm-hmm. Uh, and when they started uh, monetizing, they started with 250k. Okay, so in in what 11 months they've grown 10x. So an academy succeeds because they deliver. They say that you know if you are in in a small town uh, in center like Satna, take Satna for example. It's a it's a it's a it's about a 500k town in a small city in uh, not even a, not even a city. It's a small town in Madhya Pradesh in India. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have very good high quality instructors in uh, STEM. If you want to prepare, if you want to prepare for IIT JEE or NEET, you probably won't get very good teachers. Or the few teachers who are there will be booked full up. So here comes an academy says we'll give you something which is at one fifth the price at near Bombay quality or near Delhi quality, uh, very convenient online, and you can get seats. So it's typically when you have stuff like this or like Misho, which which says look you will buy from your friends, extremely good quality, decent quality stuff. at very good prices and uh, you know so 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 when you have quality uh, reasonable quality at uh, which is uh, very accessible at at at, uh, at at very good prices okay so it's 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 typically this combination uh, that that kind of gets india to a bolt and uh, uh, if it is uh, so quality accessibility convenience are, are like the the trifecta of uh, product features that uh, any india to company needs to have and uh, i would say that accessibility is a, is is a key factor um uh, that's probably the first factor should be affordable then of course quality it doesn't mean people take anything and first convenience being able to kind of make it easy for them to do removing frictions etc including i would say ui ux friction and uh, so uh, most companies because they started with india 1 uh, and then they look at expanding to india 2 forget that their products have a strong english tax built in already so what i mean by mm-hmm. that for example when the shopping cart was used and it's very interesting there was a recent interview of the uh, i think the misho product manager and he said that uh, it's very funny but uh, when the shopping cart icon was used people thought it looked like the waste paper ready cart which was being moved around you know in- <laughs> so uh, some people have looked at uh, the the search icon which is a magnifying glass and saw a ping pong paddle like you know so right. so, so these are uh, important that so there's an english tax that's built into our ui and ux which needs to be shared so there's a bunch of things that need to be done uh, but as long as you are in this quality accessibility convenience uh, kind of framework Uh, I think you should be able to make it happen, but it's hard. There are not too many products. Ed- education is clearly one. Uh, there may be a few others. Um, uh, apparel, e-commerce is one where you are able to kind of uh, break into India too. But otherwise, even like for example, uh, even like ShareChat is a great example. Uh, while it's got a lot of press and a lot of this thing, it's unable to kind of uh, really go beyond um, like they say, you know, fifteen, seventeen million DAOs. or uh, like a 50 million mouse so uh, so it's very hard to predict what will do well and products that start out by look, looking like they'll do well don't necessarily scale 
uh, not clear what the reasons are um, uh, but uh, so there you go no, I take it that localization plays a very important role, especially when you're moving from India 1 to India 2 and trying to appeal to a larger audience in India. Mm -hmm. And seems like, you know, from your portfolio and what you guys have been looking at, there's a lot of insights. And I want to delve a little more deeper into that. Um, you know, while writing a check um, probably is the most easiest thing for a VC to do. It's what that really comes after that uh, mm -hmm. is what defines endurance of the firm and shapes current fund performance. You know, we've heard a lot of portfolio support on this uh, podcast, and I'm curious to understand how Bloom maintains a track of their portfolio, and you know, how do you hold startups responsible for achieving the targets that they said they would achieve during the time of the investment? Yeah. So, yeah, I think you said it right. Uh, what comes after is uh, actually sometimes more important because uh, you will end up uh, not being able to invest in 90% um, of the hot startups. Because if you look at, for example, a fund like Bloom, which is like a 100 million fund. So given that we have to keep a certain amount as reserves to play in our winners. So pretty much have money only for about 25 to 27, 28 uh, first checks. So right. typically of 750K to a million dollars. So, um, and uh, at least about uh, uh, like, like um, you know, uh, right now uh, and across the three-year cycle, we will come across at least 100 investments we would have liked to do, but we can't, which we'll miss out. Some cases will be the, the founders saying, hey, we've got better kind of opportunities or better deals or higher valuation or whatever. Some cases will be like, we can't move fast enough. Some cases it'll be something else, conflict or et cetera. So, you will only be able to write those 25 checks. So you shouldn't worry about what you miss and it, you should worry about what you have. And because our business is, a, is, is, is as much about uh, attention capital as capital itself. So capital increasingly is getting undifferentiated by itself. There are enough funds at our stage you can kind of choose to partner with. Uh, we're no longer the uh, 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 you know the one of the fewer seed VCs in town as it was when we started out. Um, but uh, in terms of uh, uh, you know attention capital, in terms of the unique cocktail of uh, uh, founder mentoring, support, etc., that we give, uh, we we fairly stand out in that regard. So uh, we have a uh, for uh, it's, it's interesting that uh, for the fund size that we have, we're at least two x larger than a comparable VC. Uh, we we're about nearly twenty people large. So, uh, of course, uh, removing assist assistants, etc., is about 70. So, about six, what we call portfolio platform members who, who do portfolio support, such as fundraising, hiring, uh, best dev. Uh, so, uh, then there is uh, community and a bunch of other, 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 other uh, so. What do all of these uh, folks do? What all of them come in after the check is written and they help uh, support. Um, the startup move as fast as it can from seed to series A. So, um, and we have um, sort of a, a kind of a program uh, which we have kind of experimenting with where a colleague and I, uh, uh, we, 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 we do start from what's called a portfolio onboarding day workshop to a bunch of other interventions, founder learning and development. We have a person who's looking at that. Uh, there's one for top founders and there's one for, uh, you know, early stage founders as well. So we, we, we fairly focused on this portfolio support thing. And uh, I think amongst the early stage VCs, I don't think there is uh, anyone who pays so much attention to it and, as, as, as we do. Because I think it comes from the fundamental understanding that 
the great investments the great deals are where the founder picks you so the founder buys you which is your product is uh, uh, whatever for us it's a million bucks and um, um, all of the support for 20% of his equity of her equity you know so we are cognizant of that that we are the product you pay for with your 20% equity and hence we have to be more than equal to that task so that's the kind of understanding that's guided us and uh, so so i hope this has given you a flavor happy to drill down if you need uh, more stuff yeah yeah i'm i'm extremely curious to understand where you're seeing or what are the areas that you see that your portfolio startups are requiring help with yeah fundraising um 99.9% that's a must no founders come to us and say i don't want help on fundraising Right. uh so so we have a colleague uh, and we did this really uh, harsh gulati and we had this really interesting event uh, where we actually put together a kind of a matchmaking workshop uh, thing between founders and funders so we had um, uh, about 53 of our uh, f- uh, founders and uh, 53 portfolio companies and about 80 uh, uh, funds some super large funds such as general atlantic GIC, um, uh, GGV, uh, some mid-size such as Lightbox, Sequoia Growth, Axel Growth, etc., and some um, slightly just after seeds, uh, post seed, which is Mayfield, Bessemer's, etc. So uh, all of them came down, and it's called Blue Swan came to one room, and uh, what's fascinating is some of these conversations are actually going to become uh, investments. So. Uh, so to pull that off we need, we worked really hard like we had a team that worked like day and night over the last few weeks to kind of put this together and um, uh, so 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 this is one you know program but otherwise behind that uh, you know there's a lot of hand holding and um, so kartik for example uh, kartik sanjay their their understanding of the market uh, is so good they know they can look at you if you're looking for need and say that hey these are the five funds you need to talk to because in this fund there is this person who's taken a bet so this so this ability to kind of hold this entire indian vc ecosystem or funding ecosystem in their minds curate one or two uh, kind of persons for you to talk to uh, so that's an incredible incredible asset that we have and uh, uh, so that so clearly fundraising is one area of strength that we have or supporting in fundraising Apart from that, I think founder learning and development has become an obsession for us. Uh, so community, um, um, so programs for them, we call it founder advice and network that we're trying to do. So these are two areas where we really, really focus on. BizDev is another one. Hiring, uh, obviously, I don't, I don't, I don't, I mean, it's obvious how important it is. So we have uh, no kidding. Uh, we have uh, you want. Uh, uh, so uh, how big do you think our hiring team is? Just, just take a wild guess. I would say close to three or four people. <laughs> no way, Jose! Not even close. So uh, the hiring team was seven people large, and we recently acquired another team. So we're about fourteen people large hiring team now. Wow! So yeah, yeah. So that's the, it's called Passion Connect. It's a separate company. This one they actually charge certain cases for services as well. So it's a very it's a very different model. But that's how big the team that supports portfolio hiring is. So uh, clearly, what we tell uh, uh, companies is join us, come to our platform. from hiring uh, from fundraising from bizdev so we have jitesh for example in our portfolio who helps you connect to key partners like if let's say we hear from two or three of our fintech guys that hey we need to talk to hdfc bank or we need to talk to icici bank 
he will go and get those connects needed he'll talk to people in their innovation team or he'll, he'll talk to people through various connects to get the right person in the room to talk to to three of them you know so 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 all of this uh, so he's like your internal growth guy like you know uh, but sitting in bloom so uh, so what we fundamentally telling a startup is you come to us we can help you navigate the seed to series a path much much faster than with any other vc so that's that's a kind of promise we give them and invariably uh, it kind of happens it's so so we've taken a lot of time a lot of thinking to kind of set this up uh, etc it's experiment in, in working we continuously refine it have we perfected it no uh, not yet it's a long way to go but i think uh, the beginning of something interesting is there certainly no hiring is such a pain in the ass and i've been there you know on the other side trying to help some of our portfolio companies yeah. and it's probably one of the most important things for a startup and especially yeah. to hire the right kind of people in the early days mm-hmm. so i really love that you guys are hand holding them and really helping them think through that whole process yeah now i want to flip it to the other side and uh, you know really ask you let's if if you're role playing for a minute and mm-hmm. i'm the ceo and you're my lead investor mm-hmm. how do i engage you the most what's the low hanging fruit uh what are my must dos and you know what what should i be doing and on the other side what shouldn't i be asking of my investor yeah and also uh, so there are many uh, kind of frameworks or many types of um, uh, uh, kind of uh, arrangements or uh, you know ways this work it actually depends a lot on the chemistry or personalities of the specific founder and the in- investor uh, who sits on the board or otherwise because when we invest typically there's no even no board as such it's just a you know board kind of typically comes after series a so uh, so in 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 my case i've i've chosen to kind of keep it uh, what i call low low, low overhead because uh, the t- the stage at which we invest it's typically uh, two pizza teams to slightly larger um, sometimes even smaller so we recently invested in a two person company which is now like just just doubled like you know so so um at that stage uh, i make sure our interactions are low kind of low overhead i don't want him or her to get stressed unduly etc um so fundamentally these are about like typically one and a half to two hour conversations every fortnight Uh, sometimes lesser sometimes it's a lot of whatsapp messages also sometimes um where typically what i do is i try and talk to them help them think through some stuff sometimes we take one issue and drill down into that typically it's product um and the idea is those conversations those longish conversations help the entrepreneur help the founder think through uh think through uh some of the steps he or she should be doing or aren't etc etc so i think uh, uh reporting getting data those are not really challenges at this stage because it's it's really those conversations which help them think through um the search for what i call the deepest revenue stream uh so 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 this is a wonderful uh, kind of uh, concept or paper or a blog post by chris dixon he calls it hill climbing secular an algorithm in computer science and if you study computer science you'll know uh, uh, how do you search for uh, the highest hill and not the nearest hill so uh, similarly in 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 pmf is all about searching for the deepest revenue stream which will allow you to kind of as opposed to the nearest revenue stream or the most convenient revenue stream so i think at vc's level the idea is to encourage experimentation because uh, and and kind of how do you know for example uh, they hit product market fit or how do you get them to that 
So it's a bunch of these conversation support help that you need uh, in running those experiments. And I think a lot of our focus, because we are super early stages, focused on that. Yeah. So I hope I've kind of answered your question. If I've not, I'm happy to kind of give it another go. Yeah. No, absolutely. You mentioned something about product market fit, and I wanted to expand that, uh, expand on that a little bit. How does a startup know that it's achieves product market fit? And I'm I'm pretty sure it changes from you know on a B two B company, it's very different. For a B two C company, it's very different. But what are the early signs of product market fit? Yeah. So yeah. So again, a bunch of frameworks here. So there's been a lot of writing on the. So I think uh, one clear sign is uh, uh, for a consumer B two C consumer kind of company is consistently falling CACs. So right. okay, that is not the only thing in and of itself. Consistently falling CACs, like uh, 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 I, I, it's challenges on the supply side because demand is taking off, etc. So uh, um, and uh, feeling that um, uh, you know the team is beginning to get stretched. I need to hire faster, etc. So all of it comes together in consumer because it's it's very demand driven. On B two B, it's 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 um, CACs are typically a much harder construct, etc. Uh, depends on the kind of B two B you are. If you're B two B SaaS, like low value products, it's it's probably a little more closer to consumer. But um, uh, typically, uh, uh, conversations ending, fa- uh, getting closing faster. Lot of uh, pull for your products, and I think that's the closest. Suddenly, from push, suddenly in B two B, get get to pull. People reach out to you. You get a lot more pings. People want to talk to you. Word of mouth spreads. And so, so these are ways in which you kind of get a sense that hey, uh, I think I'm onto something here. Hey, there's like so demand for it. I think this is working. But India is also one of those very funny markets which I've written about, and that's another article which I've written about that uh, you can actually get PMF in India and you can actually suddenly disappear. So Paytm is the best example of this. Could you elaborate on that? That's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so you can get PMF in India. So imagine you're raw pressury. Okay, the opposite mm-hmm. is like people, like you know, people are very health conscious. People are affluent as well. So, right. sort of look at raw pressuries marketers. Uh, you take all the Starbucks in India uh, and uh, draw a two kilometer, like like draw out a map which is two kilometer radius around Starbucks. That's the market for raw pressury. So, right. uh, so, so it's not going to mean Meerut or um, you know, and maybe there are one two families in Meerut who love raw pressuries. I don't know, maybe, yeah. But uh, uh, what happens in uh, raw pressuries? Raw pressuries suddenly raw pressuries start doing well, like you know, because they start out with imported units or they'll, 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 the first units, you know, whatever. And suddenly there's huge demand for it, and uh, the, the investors get really excited, and then they get the next round. And then investors say, "Great, I've given you this. Now expand three x so that the Series B guy will get interested." So what happens? I'm, I'm taking raw pressure as a name, but uh, like typically products such as that. What happens is that when they actually move into the the, the next market, which is even India one, or uh, like even within Bombay, you go to Vikroli, you find that the demand for your product isn't as strong as what it was in Malabar Hill. So mm. so then if you go to Meerut, which is India two, demand just drops off. So what happened is you can get PMF in a certain market, but when you expand outside of that pin code, you can actually lose PMF. Sometimes PMF disappears when, like the regulatory changes. Look at Paytm. So Paytm is like the sometimes uh, kind of uh, the world's largest pool of capital, invested capital, in search of PMF right now. So uh, because uh, they had PMF with the wallet and they lost it when UPI came. So so India is like this real, and 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 I think that, so it's PMF also. I think the in, in the literature of PMF we don't talk about this much because um, in, in US, for example, it's a very homogeneous market to an extent, right? 
And since once you crack it, then it's very easy to rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. But India is right. not like that. India is a very complex market. You can't... A little more fragmented and diverse. Yeah. A little more fragmented and diverse. Uh, so, so I think in India, you, you'll have to actually start looking at getting PMF in specific constituencies. So mm. to win in India, you may have to get PMF in two to three markets. Um, so, uh, so for example, Freshworks will have to succeed in enterprise and SMB. And not easy. Both are very different. Both need very different behaviors, etc. How you do that is it's a uniquely Indian trait. Uh, uh, TikTok, uh, India one and India two succeeded in both. How? Various reasons, but yeah. So, 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 so. Typically, with our uh, companies early stage, we at least try and make sure that they hit PMF, and we spend a lot of time. Is it PMF? Like for example, there's a company that I work with called Rocketium, and uh, uh, they've they've kind of pivoted. They started the consumer video product, and now it's a strong B two B e commerce video visual solution. And now they're clearly hitting PMF because every month they've grown up by like 100k, like, you know, uh, ARR, like, and the ARR keeps rising. And then there is pull for it. It's a, it's, it, and so it's exact this thing that I'm actually seeing a company hit PMF in the last four months. And uh, the conversations are around and get more people on board or, hey, uh, you know, we're converting this, we're moving on to this, how can you move to Southeast Asia, et cetera, et cetera. So, so I think it's a bunch of these. Um, uh, uh, you know, I know Rahul Vora wrote this wonderful article about uh, you know uh, uh, kind of a mathematical construct of PMF. That's not a bad uh, kind of framework. But in, I think PMF is also a lot of softer stuff. Uh, typically, and, and and typically it's about pull. Is there like super uh, super great pull for your product? And uh, if, even if you just did nothing, would your revenue grow? That's that's another example as well. So of uh, PMF, uh, yeah. There you go. Very interesting. No, I love that perspective. Thank you so much for that, Sajid. That was very interesting to understand different markets and, you know, how India being fragmented, you know, just presents different challenges for different businesses. So it doesn't really validate, um, you know, you cracking one market doesn't really mean that you've cracked the entire country as such. So that was very insightful. Now, clearly, you're a storyteller. And, you know, people who follow you, who know you, have noticed that about you. And, you know, I wanted to actually delve a little more onto that side of your uh, expertise. Mm -hmm. One thing that I have noticed about founders in India is that mm -hmm. they lack the founder story. Mm -hmm. You know, founders underestimate how influential founder stories can be and how much that really means in terms of customer loyalty. They do mm -hmm. care about it. A few mm -hmm. great examples of that are, I mean, think about Steve Jobs, Elon mm -hmm. Musk. Bill Gates. Now, these are people you actually connected with and then eventually, you know, ended up buying a product from their company. Hmm. Why do you think more founders today are missing out on that narrative side of their origin or their journey, specifically hmm. companies that are on the in the consumer sector? Yeah, no, it's, a, it's an interesting question. Um, so some, uh, perhaps, I don't know if... Uh, so there are probably uh, uh, three ways to kind of look at... Uh, um, or three rather investment approaches, I would say. There is, uh, for example, you can look at uh, a founder uh, team and you, you can say, I'm a VC who looks at the founder team. Like I was reading about Keith Raboa yesterday. Right? He's like that. He just looks at the founder and says, hey, this is a guy I want to back, etc. Then there is product. So like Brad Feld is supposed to be like that. He looks at product, like, you know, how good is it? And it takes that lens. And then finally, there's market. So, um, so uh, you can actually look at, say, oh, how big is the market? Like Mark Andreessen is a bit more like this. He says, if, if the market was the product, uh, you know, a good market will always take care of a bad product, et cetera, et cetera. 
So I think there are mm-hmm. these three approaches, market, product, so market uh, opportunity, um, uh, product slash tech, and finally founder slash team. So uh, I think the founder storytelling, so if you come to me, for example, and uh, uh, I typically look at uh, sort of my favorite segment is what I call B2B2C, <laughs> like, you know, so, and I, I do, uh, I, I like B2B a lot more than the average consumer, uh, you know, even though I'm at tech, I allow la- B2B plays, etc. So, uh, so for me, I think um, founder, this thing is important, uh, but it's not critical. I start market first always. Uh, but uh, if you're in the consumer space, for example, if you're like a, like like someone like a DSG, Fireside, Sixth Sense, etc., perhaps you should pay a little more attention to yeah, the founder story, right? Because the founder story also tells you a little bit, and not just them, maybe we should too, because the founder story also tells you a little bit about like how they arrived at the problem what's their obsession with the problem you know yes so 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 that's that's as simon sinek says you know the why yes 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 um so and and and, and typically you want to back founders who are obsessed about very large problems and who who who, who, who there are enough proxies or signals that they'll stay obsessed with this problem for the next seven eight ten years and figure out even if new solutions come up which are not from their side they'll think of newer problems in that space to go after so i think uh, I, I i think this part needs to be paid a little more attention to um i mean maybe we don't pay or maybe i'm not the kind of uh, investor who necessarily pays a lot more attention but increasingly i'm new i'm about one and a half years old so I typically used to always approach it from market first because I didn't know how to evaluate um, kind of uh, uh, kind of uh, founders, uh, uh, some like a Karthik or Sanjay, uh, uh, partners at Bloom. I've seen so many entrepreneurs. They've seen thousands of entrepreneurs. They have like strong pattern matching skills. So I lag there. So I, I, I would focus on where my strengths are, which is ability to understand the market size, et cetera, opportunity, et cetera. But increasingly today, uh, the, the typically the second thing I'm doing is the founder stage. I don't care so much about the product, because the product will always change and evolve. Uh, at the founder stage, I, I look at how, how much uh, how much learning potential does the founder have? Like, you know, uh, how does the founder react to some of the questions that I ask, etc. So of course, founders are always super nice to you at the early stage. But, uh, you know, second, I always look at the obsession level of the founder. Uh, you know, uh, what's driven them to reach here? How did they arrive at this? How much time did they spend on picking this space, etc. So is there founder market fit with the space? So these are all questions that have begun to ask. Uh, so you're right. Um, the founder, the, the the founders in India don't develop that founder narrative as much as, or the storytelling skills are not as evolved as in the US. I don't I don't deny that at all. But it's getting better, and we're beginning to get a series of. In fact, I would say that uh, the top. It's very funny in India that the, the top of the market really mimics what's what's there in the valley or anything to a, to a large degree. So if you go to some of the top Indian um, uh, st- uh, hyperscaling startups, look at their product teams, look at their tech teams, etc. Very top, okay. I, I think you'll find them fairly comparable with what 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 the valley has to offer. Like you know, so it's it's it, it's kind of a dramatic statement, but I kind of lay it out there because uh, you're beginning to see whatever you see in the valley, whatever you see abroad, you you can see some glimpses of it in India as well. And of course, that's only very narrow base, and once it kind of dro- moves out from there, it just drops dramatically. But yeah. So somebody once mentioned to me that uh, outside of product market fit and you know founder uh, market fit, there's another one that is really interesting, which is founder fund fit, and <laughs> that's an interesting concept. And uh, yeah. you know, in my opinion, sometimes the story could actually become a competitive uh, edge, especially yeah. if it's a very crowded market and there's yeah. a there's a loyal customer base that looks up to you and says, "My values align with you, and therefore mm-hmm. I will buy your product." 
Yes. And I think that that narrative and that storytelling uh, ability, we will mm-hmm. see more of that. We've been looking at a couple of companies, but I think there'll be a lot of that coming in um, the next couple of years. And I'm very glad that you mentioned about founder mentality. Mm-hmm. You know, and when we talk about success, successful entrepreneurs, we think of them as hustlers, people who are focused, passionate, and many more superlatives that we can think of. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, what what is really undervalued is network effects, both from the entrepreneur perspective and from a startup perspective. Hmm. I'm going to throw this question over to you. How important is network effect for a founder, not the product, just the founder? And Hmm. what do I do to improve it when I have a million things going on around me and one of which, and probably the most important one of it, is building my company? No, I didn't get this question, actually, to be very honest. Uh, network, uh, I mean, network effects. Uh, uh, can you just repeat that part? Absolutely. So how important is network effects? So when we talk about network effects for a product, mm. we really know what that means. You know, it's it's the distribution and everything that goes with it mm. uh, and the virality factor that uh, a product brings to the table. Mm. But can we apply the same principles to a founder? Can you look at a founder and be like, I want to work with this guy? And sometimes yeah. it's not just the personality, but it also goes beyond more than just the personality. It's it's everything else that this startup or, or sorry, this founder brings to the table. So if I am not somebody who comes with or if I'm coming from a tier two city, tier three city, mm-hmm. uh, how do I build that network effect for myself beyond just my personality or what else can I bring to the table? I might have been a top product guy at Flipkart, so I know 100, 150 people who are really important, who will really grow my business, Hmm. so on and so forth. And on those lines, you know, how can I improve my offering to a VC when I speak to them for the first time? No, it's a great question. Great question. Um, so I think uh, uh, so for various reasons, uh, uh, you know, it's 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 not hard to kind of uh, reach out to VCs such as uh, me, uh, me or any of my peers. Um, so all of us have our email IDs fairly open. Uh, it's all listed on LinkedIn. Uh, my email ID is on my Twitter bio. So uh, it's not hard to reach out. But at the same time, we love reach outs that are uh, through uh, our referrals. So referrals are much more highly valued, especially if they come from a founder. Um, but again, so it helps if you're going to the same school as a founder, etc. So India actually, so again, it's a bit privileged, but startup is a privilege in India too. So, uh, so, uh, so, so, sort of those are challenges. So, if you're not from a top school, if you're not from um, kind of uh, uh, you know a company, hot company, you've not worked in one of the top 20, 25 unicorn kind of companies out of India. I think there's still many ways to reach out. So, there's a bunch of young founders who reach out to me on Twitter, who kind of start out by liking some of my posts or react. So, I can I, I do track them, and and they're about. Then there are about 10, 15 guys I reach out because they're building product or I hear about them. So Twitter, I think, has become this uh, really channel. And I track them. I follow them. uh, I reach out to them sometimes. Like, for example, I reached out to this uh, guy who works at a very large uh, kind of a SaaS company uh, and has built out a product in his free time. And it kind of went on to product hunt without his knowledge. So I reached out to him and said, hey, love the kind of chat. I I I subscribe to his newsletter. So... And I'm cognizant of the fact that the very best founders have choice. And tomorrow, like if he builds out a product, etc., it's 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 not like you'll have no one reach, like you know whom we can go to for funding. I think it'll be a lot more interest in him. So I think it's a bunch of both. Um, you can probably make yourself interesting through work you've done. Uh, you, you can kind of 
put products on product hunt you can actually tweet about it you can actually write writing is harder i don't see too many people do that in india that's perfectly fine um uh, or you can just reach out uh, through referral channels so these are ways in which i've seen founders make themselves uh, kind of attractive of course if you're from one of the top schools you know how the industry works you're well networked it is far more easier but uh, in many cases uh, uh, kind of uh, even uh, founders out of small towns reach out to us um, and uh, we do take out some time to kind of uh, uh, kind of uh, reply to them so one thing i do is uh, when anyone sends me a reasonably well written pitch i mean i don't reply to like one line things will you fund me uh, i don't reply to those but That's otherwise true. even if it's like reasonably well written etc i do take time out to give a reply so this is something that i do every single pitch that comes i reply to to me i reply to personally yeah oh that's that's wonderful that's great to know yeah now i want to segue into uh, rapid fire questions and Ooh. these would really explore uh, you know who you are as a person and who you are as a as a venture capitalist so if that's okay sure. with you sure 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 great uh, the first question is what's one thing that founders still don't understand about vc and how it works yeah so uh, people reach out to me for feedback and say hey why have you rejected my pitch uh, what is wrong with it so i tell them there's nothing wrong with it okay your pitch is brilliant uh, if i didn't have three other interesting companies uh, three other companies which i thought were bigger i would have funded you so founders don't get that vc is a relative business at any point of view there are 200 300 Uh, uh pitches that come in of which 10 15 are very good pitches of which 3 4 are very high on your stack rank because they seem to have kind of come from like you know uh, good schools etc they feel like hey i given a good paper why haven't you kind of given me high ratings or why haven't you this thing and i tell them it's it's i can't select you because there's somebody else who's better like you know Uh, better as in uh, perceptionally better for me from a fun point of view so i think enough founders don't get the fact that the reason you get rejected is nothing to do with you per se it's to do with somebody else per se okay so there's a relative stack rank and basis that stack rank you may not qualify and a lot of it's just perception dependent that's fine but that's a reality so reaching out to me saying what is wrong with my pitch i mean i don't know what to say so i typically give them the stock answer but i've said this is the single biggest misunderstanding that found uh, founders have of vcs that they feel there's some absolute benchmark that they have to crack it's not absolute it's relative yeah no i like that inside and i'm sure kartik and sanjay have given you enough heads up about what i'm going to ask you next okay. but what do you wish you knew about venture capital when you started that you know now um that there is so much competition to get into uh, certain rounds uh, that the best founders have much uh, uh, you know a much better place than the best vcs so so sort of like uh, i didn't i didn't i, I thought of the buy side but actually it's not the buy side the vc business is hugely sell side uh, we sell to get money from our lps we sell uh, always selling why do you think i write why do you think i tweet it's to stand out so that the best founders find me interesting enough to talk to right uh, three that when there's a interesting company that i i can i can push to kind of get in on it if i need to or even to fight for proratas for example uh, uh, it 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 is a complex market so so the amount of selling in this business is incredible everybody thinks buy side uh, no 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 this is a customer service sell side business if you aren't good at sales i don't think you should be here in vc And hey why do you think i'm doing this podcast <laughs> <laughs> absolutely yeah <laughs> you know 
how have you evolved as a person during your time in venture capital i know it's just been 2 years but 2 yeah. years in vc seems oh, yeah. like 7 yeah, yeah. or 8 years in some other sector absolutely absolutely yeah oh so um, i'm um, one uh, point is uh, the amount of young people you work with uh, so when john is 40s and of course uh, like maybe not the conventional 42 year old but uh, to kind of go days without meeting anyone older than 30s like it's, it's incredible in some ways is refreshing i think the huge optimism the ability to change dramatically learn every day like i like the, the founders that i interact with like for example akshay chaturvedi of leverage or gaurav bahiti they like in the last one year they have like dramatically up their learning quotient they are like uh, 2x or 3x the founders they were uh, and that is something that uh, kind of uh, i find fascinating about this and the amount of learning that i do every day every day um, like sometimes like like the insights that you get of course it's very early days in the vc business so sometimes maybe certain cases learning tapers off a little bit but uh, so that's 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 been one of the most dramatic things i've seen my openness to learning my openness to questioning many things openness to trying out uh, things uh, has kind of gone up the other one is to be fairly detached about the views that you give because you you come from a company where you're fairly senior and when you send a mail out the mail gets read responded to etc here you can send out what you think is the best idea and uh, and you can go to a founder and founder didn't care less he left 200 other things he he may read it he may not respond etc so to kind of separate out these things has been huge it's it's been humbling as well because you can rent founders like what do you think are great ideas and they like okay no i don't think so like you know so mm-hmm. so, so some of uh, so you've got a flavor for some of the learnings and in observe uh, uh, things that i've had yeah what is a must read book for founders yeah so 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 really the quest, the book that i'm kind of reading right now it's called the great ceo with it and if any of your readers or anyone has really enjoyed high output management then this is a great great book to pick up by this guy called matt mochery it's also available on uh, online free pdf but i encourage you to buy the book actually because it's a great book it's kind of like a manual for ceos or founders uh, it, it's amazing it's, it's really well written lot of very instructional stuff like you know what to do you know in interviews what to do on this etc right and what is one thing or a business model that you have seen so much of hmm. uh, that you should not be seeing anymore <laughs> income share agreements ah i don't want, yeah i i i mean i i various reasons income share agreements don't make sense in india uh, uh don't try to replicate them and uh, unfortunately they just keep coming yeah i actually wasn't expecting that answer but that is really great great insight yeah and you know lastly i want to ask you this question and i'm going to put you on the spot it's controversial but oops. what is one lie that we see tell founders oops <laughs> <laughs> typically it's it's about this i think founders get very passionate founders don't give up founders just think i think sometimes uh, a lot of our lies are to do with like couching it uh, being uh, trying to be yeah. direct without being rude but yes. uh, uh, but but we try and use uh, very uh, so sort of lies as a way to uh, kind of share something oh this didn't happen because of uh, something else something like that but uh, in fact you might be much much more kinder to the entrepreneur by being direct by telling him what the truth is that you mm-hmm. can't invest because of this or because there is something more exciting and this one so i think uh, so so typically a lot of the vc lies are about trying to communicate without seeming trying you know basically you don't want them to keep coming back because 
you know end of the day uh, you have 200 mails not 200 but 100 mails every day 20 30 from hundreds people are always mailing you end of the day you want to kind of just close certain things saying no is hard right so Absolutely. you want to say no in the and and typically people don't give direct feedback but people give indirect feedback which won't be questioned sometimes there is some conflict with some company you know so typically i think that is where i think vcs uh, because they don't want the burden of too much pinging back from the founder because you keep giving intelligent reasons to the founder founders will keep questioning back keep people keep pushing back so um so then you want to give a reason where the founder will not question you back so sometimes it'll be like conflict or oh no we we evaluating some other company in this space etc so these are typically where i see vcs lying to founders um founders should also um, if, if more founders understood that hey it's really about the relative stack rank so mm-hmm. um and so if this doesn't work with this vc because like you know so i'm an agritech company i pitched bloom and bloom says hey oh no um, um i'm actually it's great you reached out we come 6 months back i may have looked at you but right now i have another hot b2b saas company uh, another uh, edutech company which i probably will take up for investing so this quarter is booked for can you wait 3 months more oh no okay. agritech is i'm getting huge uh, deal uh, i'm getting huge interest from axel or sequoia or lights but i'm going to go there oh great go so uh, so so if more founders kind of understood the nature of this and it it's not easy then i think uh, we would have more vcs being direct yeah perfect i mean sajid that's a great note to end this um, episode on it was a pleasure having you on the show you've been nothing but generous with your insights and i had a super time chatting with you and i'm i i really want to bring you back at some point in the future and discuss more things which i wanted to expand on from your answers but you know didn't really have uh, enough time to do so but really sure. this is this has been a pleasure speaking to you sure thanks thanks akash been a pleasure as well thanks for asking all these questions okay but that's it i'm still new i'm still learning every day yeah and there you have it everybody that was sajid pai from bloom ventures he had some wonderful insights on the show and i had a ball interviewing him on the podcast thank you so much again sajid well if you enjoyed that as much as i did please go ahead and rate and subscribe to our podcast I hope everybody is staying safe and indoors and practicing social distancing and if you aren't please do everything that you can to flatten the curve. I have some great guests lined up for you over the course of the next few months. I'm really excited to share this with you. Please tune back next week to listen to who's next. Until then, keep hustling.